What's up, y'all? This is Nina Perez, and this is Straight Talk, No Sugar Added. And I know that you are here to listen to the best humans on the planet to grow, challenge, and transform your thinking. Let's do this. Today, I found Edward Cronin, and Ed is an author of the book, Just Policing. He's a consultant, an executive in the field of American and international law enforcement. Okay, let me just say that again. He is an executive in the field of American and uh, international law enforcement. So this guy's going to know what he's talking about. And I cannot wait to dive into this conversation. As I was reading his bio, I read that his groundbreaking work um, brought the police, the minority community, and the greater community at large together to engage in a process that identified the root causes of systemic racism, mostly unconscious and uh, the lack of economic opportunities at um, for the for the risk youth. And you know what, um, Ed, I really admire that. I mean, there's a, a lot of different ways that we can go about doing our work, right? And I love that you decided, you know what, I see something here. I see that there's a gap, that there's a hole here, and I'm going to do something to try to impact that. So I'm really glad that you're here. I want to get into this beautiful conversation. So before I start then, and now I know your bio's long, but I do want to know who Edward is, right? So, Ed, tell us a little bit about you. Who, who are you? Uh, well, um, I'm currently an author. I'm writing. I had a very active career in both the United States and working uh, abroad in many different countries. Um, uh, but I, from a very early age, uh, I always wanted to be a police officer. Mm. And that basically, the basis of that was rooted in the faith that my mother gave me when I was a small child. Um, That's awesome. She brought me up in, with faith. And the faith that I learned in my ch religion and church was um, to give and to sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of been the, the way I've looked at the world. Yeah. You know, I, I have a lot of friends who are officers as well. And um, I really admire that profession. I admire it so much because I know that it is you are literally risking who you are, your life to help someone you don't even know. You don't even know. Right. It's not. It's one thing when you do it for family. It's one thing when you do it for your best friend. It's a whole nother thing when you're doing it for people you've never even met. Right. So I really, really admire the profession a lot. So thank you for your service, because okay. I do admire that profession. And I, I have, like I said, I have a lot of dear, dear friends that I hold close to my heart that are in the profession. So I wanted to get into this beautiful, long um, career that you've had. Um, so you've always wanted to be a cop. Was that something that was in your family? Did you see that in your family? Is that why? No, um, actually, I go into quite a bit about my growing up in my book. And mm -hmm. just to put it very quickly, um, I grew up in a very chaotic household um, mm -hmm. with domestic violence, a lot of trauma and things of that nature. And uh, somehow I survived it. I had three brothers that didn't. Mm. And uh, I also had a problem with alcohol, which I finally was able to overcome. Good for and, you. Yeah. And then I became a police officer. So one of the things I, I write about a lot about that in the book for two reasons. One, I want to show that, you know, you can overcome these things, yeah. number one. And number two, um, 
you know, when you come from a background, when you've been challenged, um, you know, it, I think it gives you a little bit more wisdom in the, for the world and a little yeah. bit of an open heart to listen to people who are in tough shape or who are suffering. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree, right? It's our experiences, right? It's the lens that we come to life with, right? That helps you exactly. see the world differently. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm sorry to hear that, you know, your brothers did not survive that. Like they didn't, they still struggled uh, with that and, and it was hard to overcome. And it is hard to overcome. I'm also a survivor of domestic violence. Mm -hmm. And so um, I, I get that and I get the impact that that does in your life. And I, and I also see why you would serve, right? Because sometimes when you're going through those type of traumas and you feel maybe helpless at the time, uh, you know, you don't have the knowledge, you don't know how to really manage it or handle it. And then you, then you do. And when you do, you can do something with that, right? You can now help others or not because you do have the decision not to. So was it the clarity when you got, when you got sober? Cause you said you got sober first, you got, you got off of, um, drinking and then you became a cop. Was it the sobriety that made you go, I, I want to do something bigger? Is that, that what happened or? Uh, I, I always knew or I felt destined that I was going to be able to do something mm -hmm. with my life. You know, that was always there, even when I was going through the tough times. Um, but I, you know, I just felt that uh, I, I had to get through these things. And I did. And, um, you know, everything worked out for the best. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did you enjoy your career? I wouldn't change one thing. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> I had a fabulous career. I worked all over the world. Um, I got a chance to be a police chief in two cities in Massachusetts. And um, oh. I, uh, I, what I've always tried to do is uh, I, I get the most satisfaction out of empowering other people. Yeah. And, yeah. There's uh, something about that, right? It kind of, yeah, it's, yeah. it reciprocates. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. Um, it's, 20 times. Yeah, it really, really does. All right. Um, I, I do believe in the law of reciprocity, right? What you put out there comes back to you, even things that are unseen, right? Even right. the things that you do uh, just because you do them. Um, and that's just, that's a, that's a great uh, way to, I, I feel a great way to live life, mm -hmm. a great way to view things. Mm -hmm. um, and it seems like, you know, when I was reading uh, some of your bio, I realized, you know, because you have such a, a beautiful, long career in history that you also didn't just didn't just do the time to get your pension to keep it moving. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, you did a lot of great work. And I wanted yeah. to touch a little bit about that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, what I read in the beginning is your groundbreaking work. Right. When you brought the police and the minority communities together. Tell me about that. Like, what was that experience and why even do it? What was that about? Uh, OK, Um Back in 2002, I applied for the position of police chief in the city of Fitchburg, Massachusetts, about 40,000 people. And I had been there for 15 years. I had left to be a chief in another department, and then I worked internationally. And then I came back a few years later, and I became chief in my home city. So when I took over, things were not good. Mm -hmm. um, the city had a higher murder rate per capita than the city of Boston, which is the capital. Wow. The Latino population in the high school had a failure rate of 40% dropping mm. out of school. Um, it was, and I was being hired to bring up this war on crime and drugs. 
to step up enforcement. And what I certain what I learned recent, you know, not recently, but pretty quickly on was that a, a good portion or a large portion of the violent crime that was occurring was in my Latino community. And uh, at first I was frustrated because I wanted to reach out and speak to some people in the community. And when I spoke to the people that were in charge when, before I took over, they said, oh, we don't talk to anybody in that community. Wow. Yeah. Wow. We, uh, matter of fact, we have a pile of lawsuits like this big and uh, we won most of them. And that was how they dealt with the problem. Right. So it wasn't until I was there about a year, this beautiful, beloved woman by the name of Syra Pinto, who was an immigrant from Central America and a brilliant woman, uh, came into the city to work to increase the uh, success of Latino students at the high school. And then we began to have, she came to me because she was putting a task force together and she wasn't very hopeful coming to the police. Mm -hmm. She asked me a question when she came to meet me, you know, um, you know, what's going on. And I told her that things were tough and, you know, I can't talk to anybody. And, uh, you know, what, what's going on? Why can't I, why can't this happen? Why can't we make it better? And the thing she said to me was, you're the one that holds all the power. Hmm. You have the guns, you have the money, you have the manpower. What are you doing about it? Wow. So I, she got me into reflecting. Yeah. And, you know, it, there's a there's a lot of hundreds and hundreds of hours of conversation with her and other Latina women in the community uh, that went on. Uh, and then we went into a process where Syra was what we call a systems thinker, as was I. And we put a process together where we got 40 representatives from the community together. And for the first time, we had minority members. And wow, that's great. Yeah. The process was to find out why crime was occurring. And after we had trainers come in to talk about the principles of systems thinking to find the root causes, and we did a process for two days and we had breakout groups and charts and drawings, uh, a Latino gentleman stood up at the end and gave out a report. And he said, there's two causes of crime in this city. One is systemic racism and the other is lack of economic opportunity for at-risk kids. And right away, there were three white leaders. One was a publisher of a newspaper. The other two were university presidents. All three of them stood up one after another and said, we're not going to talk about racism. And I stood up. I used my white privilege as a police chief in the power. And I said, yeah, we are going to talk about it. And... Mm -hmm. From that day forward, we began to have a lot of discussions, open and honest discussions about what was going on. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, even in my police department, I re we had a, uh, a Latino gentleman came in one day. He didn't speak English. And I was watching from my office. He sat for 20 minutes waiting for somebody to speak English, uh, to speak Spanish. And I later I went to his boss and I said, when... Jew, when I won't use her name, but when the woman out front retires in next month, we're going to get somebody that speaks Spanish. Mm -hmm. And the commander's first question out of his mouth was, will they be qualified? Right, right. And, you know, it hit me. The assumption was they're not qualified. Right. You better be very careful. 
And I told that question to several police chiefs and every one of them said the same thing. What's mm -hmm. wrong with that question? Mm -hmm. so I had to be looking at what was going on in me personally and in my own department before I could start to change things. Okay? Yeah. So we ended up doing the process. Um, we were seizing all kinds of money on drug raids and things of that nature. We use it for enforcement. I turned around and started using it for jobs for kids. Oh, and, that's powerful. Yeah, and then other agencies did too in the community. And by the end of the summer, the crime rate was dropping. Okay. That's fantastic. Yeah, two years later, we had a mayor of color. We had two city councilors from the Latino community got on board. Today, last year, the city had one murder. And the dropout rate was below 8% for the Latino students. How powerful is that? It's a success story. And it is. And it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, <laughs> right? Because right. I know you're condensing it because we don't have, you know, years right. to talk about right. it. But right. but right. I know that that's a lot of work, right? Because I, I it was interesting. There's a couple of things I picked up. One of them was that the, when the Latino woman came to your office, you started and you started talking about to the Latino women, right? The Latino yeah. women were more open than the Latino men to talk about this problem, right? Um, I, I am Latina as well, so I get it. Some men are a little bit too hard-headed in the Latino community. I could say that because I'm Puerto Rican and I see it all the time. Um, but you know what? I, I think it had more to do with your, your, I don't know, maybe I'm just looking at this from a different angle. I just feel like all of us have, uh, have a responsibility, right? Whether white, black, Hispanic, whatever it is, to stand up for what's right. 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 Um, and so I think that it, it's just something innately in you, Edward, because like you said, you were raised with values and you were raised in a belief system where you help others. Right. Um, I don't see it as a race thing or a color thing, but I never have. That's just the way I operate. Right. right, right. I always see it as us just stepping up and saying this is wrong, you know, and so we need to correct this. Right. So I love that you did that. And I love that you stepped up. Um, it just it, to me, it just so happens that you're white. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like in my head, it just so happens that you're white. Right. Um, but that doesn't make any difference to me at all. It never has. It, it's just something, I guess, I grew up in the projects, you know, mm -hmm. I grew up, you know, around a lot of drugs, a lot of, a lot right. of crime, a lot of yeah. shootouts and things like right. that. Um, but I also never saw myself as oppressed or as not being able to, or as any white person holding me down. And that's just, that's just the way I, I yeah. operate. Do I think things happen? Yes, of course. Of course yeah. I do. I think there's racism in all cultures. I think we, we all have some tendencies to do things we shouldn't or think something about somebody that we shouldn't. Right. I'm so freaking proud of you for doing that, for standing up in the middle of what could be a huge fight. Because let's just be real. It is, right? If people don't understand where you're coming from and what you're trying to do and why you're changing things, you know, it's, it's a fight, right? And you're like, you're fighting it from the top too. So now you have a lot of big guys coming, you know, your way as well. Right. So I love that you did that. I'm very, very proud of you for doing that. Um, and I think more, more and more of us need to do that just when something's wrong, period, you know? So that must be a really good feeling for you to now look back and say, wow, 
only, you know, one murder, everything's gone down, you know, um, to 8%, like all of that is success, right? Um, so you're not, are you still involved in that kind of work to, in that town or that no. is now, no, okay. No, I'm still living here, but what I like to refer to, and I talk about it in the book too, is that we were the turning point. Right. You know, we, we were the leverage point. Somebody has to be. Yeah. To change it. And people that came after me did fantastic work. That's the great. police department here in the city today is, I would say, the most diverse police department in the state That's of Massachusetts. Fantastic. That's fantastic. And a lot of police departments, because of all the negative things that have happened, uh, a lot of minorities are not going on police departments. They don't want anything to do with it. Mm -hmm. And I understand mm -hmm. that. Martin mm -hmm. Fitchburg mm -hmm. is a line. There's a line to get in. So Oh wow, know, that's great. It's, it's a healthy great. it's a healthy atmosphere today. You know? Yeah, you know, I I I feel like a lot of that too is that and uh, you you can correct me because you're you you live you've lived in it. Um I think a lot of us Hispanics or minorities not getting into the police force also is because we're being also misfed information, right? I think that we have some information that's right, but I think a lot of information is, is um, just heightened, you know, to another level. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why I liked when I was reading your bio where you said, um, you know, you wanted to get and identify the root of this systemic racism, mostly unconscious, Right. And I right. think that's something that I wanted to point out because it's I don't feel like people, you know, my uh, the guys who dress in blue or the women who dress in blue are just consciously not, you know, going to the minority um, uh, communities or consciously not helping. I don't think that's a conscious thing. And I think that that's what you had to touch on. Right. That we need right. to be conscious, that we need to be conscious that this is happening. Right. Yes. Did you get a lot of pushback? Um. Yes. Yeah. Um, I had it was to be a different. Very, it was different. Yeah. Yeah, I had to be very careful. Um, you know, people. You know, for one thing, when you talk about systemic racism, uh, the police, in my opinion, are simply just a reflection of the whole society. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. whatever the attitudes are that police officers have, you know, they're out there everywhere. They're in the school systems. They're in yeah. the uh, you know, they're in the mall when you go to mm -hmm. the mall, you know, uh, there's there are people have judgment and that they act on unconsciously. Yeah. And, you know, it's something that we have to be aware of. And it's something we yeah. have to work at all the time. At yeah. least I do. Yeah, I think all of us do. And yeah. I think uh, to that point, it's on both sides. Yeah. Whether you are in the law enforcement or not. Right. You have you also have a lot of biases and, and things that you're doing unconsciously. Mm -hmm you know, against uh, somebody in, let's say, authority or somebody in the legal system or, you know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? I think I think we have too many umbrellas that we use to define somebody. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, mm -hmm. there's so, and there's, again, there's like, uh, you know, I know people will disagree with me and that's okay. I, I like people to disagree with me because I like to have real candid conversations. Right. Um, but I just feel like, at least, let me just speak from my perspective. You're an officer, and I'm someone who respects law enforcement, right? So mm -hmm. I don't see them in my mind, in my view, in my map of life. I don't see them as a threat. You know, I've never seen them that way. I don't see them as somebody who's coming out to get me. It's just something that I've never done. 
you know, even growing in the projects and seeing them arresting mm -hmm. people and things. I just never looked at it as a, as a, an attack on me or a systemic mm -hmm. racism thing, but I know that it exists. I know that it does, it, it on, does on every angle. Yeah. It does exist because, you know, I, I'd like to think of myself after all my career as a leader and leaders. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that a leader has to do is they have to speak out. And sometimes yeah. it's lonely to speak out. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. frankly, after all the work that I've done and I look at the criminal justice system in the United States, I see a massive failure. Right. Okay. Why mm -hmm. are, why do we incarcerate so many people? You know, right. China has 1.6 billion people. Right. And wow. we have 330 million. And we lock up a heck of a lot more people than China. Matter of fact, right. we arrest more people than any other country in the world and disproportionately incarcerate people of color. Mm -hmm, That's a mm -hmm. systemic racism issue, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, okay? Mm -hmm. And I, for me, I'm at the point in my life where it, 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 it says to me, you know, I can blame it on society, but right. what, what am I doing, okay? Mm -hmm. I have to use my position, to mm -hmm. use my voice as a leader. And if that. I'm a police chief or I'm a consultant or I'm an author or anything else, I'm going to call it out for what it is. Right, right. That means we need to have some serious discussions. Real similar conversation. To what, similar to what we did when we did, we worked in Fitchburg. We had a lot of good discussions where mm -hmm. people put things out on the table. And mm -hmm. instead, you know, we want to just act like as if we can pass a law and things will change. They won't. <laughs> right. So there's right. a lot of work that needs to be done. There is a lot of work, Edward. Yeah. A lot of work, Edward. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of work because I think more and more people, maybe not, maybe I'm wrong about this too, but I just feel like um, there's more emotion now. Like you can't even bring something up now without a visceral reaction, right? And so yeah. that's a, it's difficult sometimes to have candid, real, hard conversations Right. When there's too many emotions involved, right. right? Like we should be able to come to the table and literally lay it out on the table and say, okay, what is working? What is not working? Right. And then whatever's not working, we should be able to own it, you know? Mm -hmm. So it can't be all the uh, law enforcement's fault. Right. And it also can't be all the community's fault. There has to be something that we can come together at and like really start fixing this issue. Right. I love mm -hmm. what you did. Yeah. And right now, what's gaining steam, it's been for the last 20 or 30 years, but it's really starting to pick up is this concept called restorative practices. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's primarily used in the school system. And it was started by the police, actually, in uh, New Zealand. And basically, if I can give it a, a, a two minute explanation. That. Yeah, I'd love that. Um, Many schools, like I was telling you, our high school had a much bigger disproportionate amount of discipline given to kids of color. Okay. So what they've been doing in schools today in a lot of urban areas is instead of disciplining kids when they act out, they're doing what they call restorative circles. Mm. And they're bringing the victim or the offender, whatever the thing is, into a room. They have to agree to do it. They bring in the friends, they bring in the teachers, maybe even the parents. And then the victim explains to the offender what happened. 
and how they feel about it. And mm. then the offender has a chance to talk about how they feel and listen to how other people feel. And then come up with an idea on how to heal things. Wow. Okay? And it's very effective and it works. Mm -hmm. And it does two things. The victim is actually satisfied that they were listened to and they got something out of it. And the offender is not stigmatized and he's brought back into the community. That's the difference. Wow. Because right now our system just takes people, stamps them guilty yeah. and throws them out. Yeah. Now you can't get a job. Now you can't vote. Blah, 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 blah. And this practice is working and it needs to be implemented mm -hmm. much more in policing where we can be working with kids that are having problems and not taking them into the criminal justice system. Right. That does not work. No, it just builds a better criminal. It just does. Well, I mean, that's where they nice learn. Thing, they learn right? a lot there. <laughs> you keep repeating the same thing over and again. Yeah. And you think you're going to get any better. Well, you're not. Right. So, right. Yeah. And a lot of them feel, you know, once and I, I think I, I love the idea of, you know, them also feeling like, okay, I was also able to express it without being ridiculed and taken out of society or, you know, pushed to yeah. the side. That's right. powerful, right? Because a lot of what happens, at least from the people that I've spoken to that have gone to jail, is that they say, well, they learn to become better criminals because they learn a lot of stuff in there that they shouldn't be learning, but they're learning it. Um, and uh, also, they don't feel good enough because when they come out, nobody will hire them. So they can't get a job. They can't, you know, if they're if they have kids, they probably can't even see their kids. Like all of that stuff happens. I mean, I could just think like even up to recently, somebody I knew who I did about 10 years in jail. I didn't know him very well, but I did know him as soon as he got out, didn't know how to deal with society and stuff and committed suicide. Uh, because he couldn't really get a job. He couldn't get himself on, even though he kept saying, I want to make my life better. It couldn't have, it, it was too hard. It was too hard. And he, and he took his life. And so I get what you're saying. Yeah. It was tragic. It was really, really tragic. And so I, I, I think that's a, that's a beautiful, like really great concept. And why we're not doing that more. I, I don't know. Um, well, you know, yeah, this too much of a punitive mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. attitude in society and a lot of society today. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, that just reinforces things. That's why you have such high incarceration. And then you get, like you said, people, even when they get out, they're helpless. Mm -hmm. They're hopeless. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you think it's getting better, Edward? Do you think we're, we're, we are coming to the table more? Do you think we're actually more open to these discussions? How do you feel about that now, looking at it from this angle? I think I can only look at it from a law enforcement point of view with any right. type of authority to speak about it. Uh, have you ever, I'm sure you probably have heard of Bill Bratton. No. Who was, well, he was, he's, he's like the person in policing in the United States. Okay. He's retired, but he was twice commissioner, police commissioner, okay. he was police commissioner in LA. He just came out with a new book called The Profession. And, you know, I just happened to pick it up and read it after I wrote my book. And mm -hmm. he's coming out with the same things. Right. Yeah. right. He says right in chapter 16, is there systemic racism in society? Absolutely. Is there systemic right. racism in policing? Yes. But, you know, then he's, he, he goes and talks a little bit more, but he says, of course it's there. And then, you know, like he even brought up one issue about 
uh, and this is a this is you know when you talk about a things changing, here's an issue. Mm-hmm. You know, he says it, and I've said it. Black lives matter. Mm-hmm. Period. Mm-hmm. Of course, of course they, they do. Of course right? they matter. When yeah. People start going. Well, what about police and all? No, that's not what it's about. It's about people who are feeling oppressed and have come from 400 years of oppression. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they are feeling justly, uh, or maybe I don't, maybe in every instance it wasn't racism, but there is these things that are tinged with racism and they're very angry and I don't blame them. Mm-hmm. But the thing, when you said, do I have hope? My hope will come when people like Bratton or people like myself can influence police leaders, mm-hmm. not changing the way we do policing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's just one aspect of society. Are a very powerful element of society. You know, right. we're armed. We're, you know, we're, 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 the, you know, not just justice, but we're, we're at the cusp of keeping society together. So we 100%. have a leadership position. So if we turn yeah. around and acknowledge what people are going through and use that, you know, uh, to empower people like we did here in Fitchburg, or you can do anywhere, you know, mm-hmm. we can make a huge difference. So right now, I think we're at a very critical point right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would love to see the government, the Department of Justice, come out and fund ideas like these, you know, to move them forward. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope they do, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, you know, I love that um, that you are taking, uh, you know, all of that you've learned, all of your experiences. And you're just saying, you know what, something has to be done. And if I have to do it one podcast at a time, one book at a time, one whatever at a time, that's what I'm going to do because I think it all makes an impact. It all makes an impact, right? I mean, just for instance, this this um, this uh, podcast last month I think had over thirty thousand downloads, right? So if you think about that, that means th- you might just be hitting about thirty thousand plus ears. Right. That that makes an impact. Right. So it depends on how many podcasts you go to or how, where you you know, where you hit the next stage or whatever have you. You are only one man, right. but you are one man who has proof that you've made a, ch- a change years ago where you shifted things and look what happened. Right? right. So, you know, just like Martin Luther King, maybe, you know, it'll be 10, 15, 20 years from now, 30, 40, 50 years from now. Maybe you won't be on the planet because we're not promised tomorrow. Nope. But that does not mean that the shift did not happen, right? So that's why I am so um, honored that you came on my show. And I'm honored that you were candid and that you just say it like it is. And most cops that I know do. That's why I love you guys. Well, uh, <laughs> and um, are, yeah, I mean. You are so affirming. Oh, thank you. To be able I mean, to it's speak. all truth. You know, it is truth. Yeah, it's all truth. Mm-hmm. And that's what this is, right? Straight talk, no sugar added. So there you go. (laughs) You know what, Edward? I'm super proud of the work you're doing. I really, really, really am. Um, And Mm -hmm. I am excited to have this podcast episode and I'm excited to launch it out there. And I really hope it reaches all of the ears that it needs to reach. You know, I wish you much, much blessing in your endeavor and everything that you're doing. Uh, May you always be protected. And may you, uh, you know, always learn to just use your voice when you need to use it, however you need to use it. So good for you. Good Thank for you. you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you.
Thank you. And thank you for being here. I really appreciate you. So before I let you go, though, Edward, because I just told you a lot of people listen to the show, why don't you go ahead and tell us how we can support you? How do we find what you're doing, the kind of work you're doing, your book, your website, all that stuff? Um, well, my website is www.justpolicing.org. Um, and the book, Just Policing, My Journey to Police Reform, uh, talks a lot about leverage and mm. how we manage to make those changes. And the key to all of them, whether it was internationally or here, was relationships mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and humility and letting go of power. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, the best use of power is to give it away. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I found that you know, whether I was working in Eastern Europe or Egypt or any other place, um, my hometown, you know, people respond when they feel you're being honest with them. Yes. And, uh, yes. you know, um, when you said, you know, how can we get more involved? Well, one of the things that I would say is um, just very quickly, um, after 9-11, all the money for community policing went away. And it all went into Homeland Security and it all went into other tar hardening targets and all this other stuff. But what I'm trying to get at is the federal government does wasn't promoting us working with communities. And mm -hmm. I think that's been a big gap right now. So yeah. people talk to their Congress people or representatives, tell them they want to bring back money that promotes community policing to get the community great idea. closer to the police again and let the police be accountable to them. Because right now we're not where we used to be. So yeah. I'd love to see that happen. Yeah. I, I'd love to see that happen too. I think we have to change the narrative, Edward. We have to change the narrative, right? We have yeah. to realize that when you, when, you know, when I say you, I mean the law enforcement, when law enforcement, you know, puts on that uniform they are, you know, the majority of them are really doing it because they care because they really want to make a difference and because they really want to help others. It's really why you get into it. Right. Yeah. And so we have yeah. to change the narrative. Cops are not out there just killing people because they want to, and, and, you know, just doing all of this, this stuff that the narrative has. And I think that's why Edward, that we've split you know, because there's this there's this tension in between and nobody knows how to leap over that, you know, to to bring it back together. But I, I have hope. I have a lot of hope. And, um, and, you know, with people like you, especially, I think that we're going to we're going to go really, really far. So thank you so much for everything that you do. Really grateful. Thank you. Thank you. Guys, this conversation was amazing. And I know that you guys are pretty freaking amazing. I cannot believe um, what I just told Edward. And it's very, very true. I looked at my numbers last week. I think we're almost up to 40,000 downloads for the month. So I want to thank all of you who are listening and watching and subscribing and all that great stuff. I freaking love you. Thank you guys for being here. Make sure that you follow Edward. I'm going to make sure I list all of his information below so that you can read his book and see how it is that you can get involved. Involved so we can start changing all our, our communities, our lives, the narrative, all of it, because we are the ones that have to do it. We are the ones that have to do it. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening. You are the best. Okay. I have the best podcasting community ever. I really do. And I appreciate you guys being on here. Make sure you go on to winject.com slash register W I N 
ject.com slash register and register for my free community because I want to be really um, connected with you and I want us to brainstorm and be with each other and connect in a deeper way. If you are looking for coaching, please make sure that you also email me at hello at straighttalknosugaredit.com. I work with women and I help them develop that business that they are envisioning in their hearts so that they can win. Thank you guys so much for being here. Love you, love you, love you. This is Dina Perez, Straight Talk, No Sugar Added.